Well, good morning. Let me welcome you today. We're excited to have you in our service, those of you watching online and those in the overflow this morning. We uh, had a great time in uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, just to share with you a little bit of what God is doing there, we now have 14 church plants, and let me tell you something, there is an exciting city. We're beginning to see God do some great things, and excited about what we get to be a part of as a church uh, as we're going to be a part of just doing ministry through NAM uh, even this next week. So be praying about that. Also, let me just encourage you, if you've not noticed, but uh, we have now dropped below that $3 million mark on our debt. Many of you know that uh, we've set a goal to be debt-free by the end of 23. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. We're now at $2.7 plus million. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. And uh, we're going to get rid of that thing. Uh, by the end of 23, and uh, so we can be ready for whatever else God wants to do with us. Uh, let me just say, Jacob, brother, I don't know where you went, but I tell you what, you blessed our heart this morning. Jacob leads with our students, and uh, it's great to have him on the stage this morning. And there he comes, and uh, great job this morning. I love the energy, and I tell you what, if I can't preach after that, I might as well quit, amen? And a great worship this morning. Today, if you will, take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 9 with me. We're going to be looking uh, in Acts 9, first three verses, then we're going to drop down to about verse 18. Uh, many of you that have been here um, know a term that we use a great deal. It's called holding the rope. Begin to realize that 18 years ago when I came as the pastor here, I shared a message and why that is so dear to me and why it became a part of literally our philosophy as a church and as a staff. And the other day, as I was praying and working on the essentials, I began to realize that it had been 18 years since I had spoken on that subject. And for so many new people that have come, you've heard the terminology, but you don't really know the background of it. And so this morning, I want us to plunge in. It's, in this ninth chapter, is an exciting chapter, because in it, you recognize that it is telling the story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And uh, I want to just, if you will, let's look at the first few verses here, and then we're going to skip down. He says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he could find any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Let me stop for just a moment. This was the earliest title for Christians. In other words, during this time, they were actually called people the way or people of this way. So again, this is who he's looking for. He's looking for men and women who are followers of Christ, he wants to persecute, he wants to throw him into jail. But all of a sudden, there's a change that happens. Listen to what it says. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, let me just take a moment. I want you to drop down to verse 18 with me. And uh, listen to what he says here. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now for some days, catch this, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Let me stop there for just a moment. You need to have your heart really prepared for that little statement. And the reason why I believe those words right there contain the greatest principle fulfilling the great commission that you'll find anywhere in Scripture. Uh, it is what uh, Wayland Moore calls the with him principle. In other words, this is how you really and truly are to make disciples. You get on track and then you take somebody along with you. And that's what Jesus is saying. Do you notice in that little text it says, and some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. There had been a radical change in his life. He spent time with those disciples. 
Once again, I believe this is what really the Christian life is all about. You and I are not called to live the Christian life in isolation. And yet so many times, that's exactly what we do. We only do it in groups like this or settings like this where we come together as a body and we think, okay, well, I'm, I'm together. I got my family here. But you're not to live that way at all. You and I are not to live the Christian life in isolation. And the reason why is that's not fair to what God desires to do in and through us. You and I should do nothing alone. You always take somebody with you. Now look at what he says. Let's pick it up again. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those called upon his name? Has he not come here for that same purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? In other words, they're doubting who he is. This is a disguise. He's really here to capture us, harass us, and throw us into prison, and maybe even kill us. But Saul increased all the more in strength. Now, I want you to just pull over for just a moment. Because I want you to look at that, because it says he increased the more in strength. To be honest with you, I think that... Uh, he probably increased in the wrong kind of strength. You see, Rick, what do you mean by that? I think he increased in that hot-hearted energy of the flesh. I think it's not hard to see. And I believe that God had to do a fantastic number on him to get him to be where God actually wanted him to be. Now listen to it again. Don't miss this. And Saul increased the more in strength and confronted the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, luring him in a basket. Now, I want you to just kind of hang on to that for a moment. Because we're going to turn over in just a few moments and we're going to look, if you will, in 2 Corinthians. But let me just kind of set the stage for you. Do you have any possible idea of the response as you look at this man and the way that he entered the city, that is, he came in the city bold and arrogant, looking for people of the way, again, to harass, to persecute, possibly even to throw into prison. And yet now look at how he is leaving the city. Because now he's running for his life, kind of like a sewer rat. you have any idea what this must have meant to him? What radical change it brought about his life? You see, when you begin to look at his life, I think that he came in very arrogant. That's why I said I think he increased in the wrong strength. I think he came in and he said, listen, God, you, you want somebody to convert the Jews? I'm your man. I am tailor-made for this thing. You just, you listen, I, I'm going to show up, and it's going to happen. And I think what you have here, he, he, he was a man that, that literally was bold in that sense. He came in somewhat arrogant at this time, and now what is he doing? He's running like a river after his life. But listen to me carefully. Don't miss this. You've got one of the greatest theologians who ever lived beginning his ministry literally as a basket case. One of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest teachers, one of the greatest statesmen. But I want you to think about what this meant to his life. Turn, if you will, over to 2 Corinthians. And I want us to look here in chapter 11. Because literally, Paul is now writing here in 2 Corinthians. And he describes this event of what happened to him that day as one of the greatest events within his life. Now listen to what he says, beginning in verse 29. He says, who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not 
indignant. Now let me just stop a moment there. He says, there's nobody reduced into weakness, but I feel their weakness. That's really what he's saying. And then notice what he does. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor and king Artaxerxes was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. Now notice verse 33. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now what is interesting to me is you go back and look in Acts chapter 9. When it says that he was let down in a rope basket, you got to understand something. The translation from the Greek there was like a woven wicker basket. But when you come over to where Paul is actually in the basket telling the story, the Greek word there is for a rope basket. In other words, it wasn't just wicker that was put together. This was a basket that was woven, if you will, out of rope. And he sees this from the perspective that I'm in the basket and I'm being lured in it. Now, you've got to be awful careful with this story. And the reason why I say that is because I believe right here in these little words where he talks about a rope basket is one of the greatest object lessons that you'll find anywhere in Scripture. So what I want you to do with me this morning for just the time that we have is just focus on that rope basket. I want to introduce to you two groups of people that come out of the story. The first group that I want you to see is the rope maker. And can I tell you, the only way that you'd ever see that or even think about it is to put yourself in the story and back your way into it. Hal Luckett, in one of his devotional books, had a paragraph entitled, Somebody Made a Mighty Good Rope. And then he asked the question, what if the rope had broken? I want you to think about the guy who was sitting at his work desk had no possible way of knowing what the future of that rope was going to do, how God was going to use it, and yet at his job, at his responsibility, he did a great job so that one day God was going to dangle the apostle on the end of that rope for the future history of the church. He had no way of knowing, no possible way of knowing. And what I'm saying to you this morning is this, that the guy had no way of knowing what the future history of that rope was going to do, but let me tell you what he did do. At his job, at his desk, he was faithful. He did a good, sound, solid, dependable job so that one day God could literally dang the future of one of the greatest theologians, one of the greatest apostles at the end of that rope that the world would ever know. Can I tell you this morning, if we are going to take serious the command to make disciples, then you and I have to understand it cannot be a program. It has and it must be a lifestyle. Too many times I have seen guys go through many different programs. We have our journey groups and those are great and I went through it myself and I love it. But what I want you to understand is, is that in going through that, if it's just a program to you and you go through it and you check the box, and once you go through it and you learn the principle of abiding in Christ, you learn the principles of what it is to truly make disciples, but then you close the book and put it on the shelf and you never do anything with it, then can I tell you this morning, that was a program. But if it changes your life so that now all of a sudden you begin to look at people in a different way, you begin to look at your own life in a different way. You become a student, if you will, of the word of God. All of a sudden there is this burning passion inside of you that says, I want to put a rope around somebody, and I want to hold the rope for that person. I want to help them grow. I want to disciple them. I want them to become all that God truly wants them to be because somebody invested in me. This is what it's truly all about. 
I will tell you, the reputation of the kingdom of God is at stake. You say, why is that? Because wherever you are, on your job, at school, at play, even at the sporting events that you may be with your kids, listen to me. Your craftsmanship, your daily work, your integrity, how you live, the way you talk, the way you engage with other people. Because God, listen to me, is building a case through the total witness of every single one of his children. His reputation, not mine, his reputation is at stake. And if you and I do not function properly, the rest of the world is totally dismissed to the person of Jesus Christ because of our failure to walk before them in a way that lets them see the truly only hope that this world has, and that is Jesus Christ. There is a watching world today. More than any other time, if we ever needed to be rope holders, it is today. I had a friend. His name was Will Barnes. Will Barnes was a manager of a chemical corporation and uh, he had a big job, he, was a com- he commanded people, he had a great personality. But I never forget one day he sat down with me and he said, you know what, he said, there were times that I would lose my temper. He said, I would get angry, I'd get stressed out. And he said, you know, there was a guy that literally worked for me. And said, you know what, every time I got into a pressure situation, I lost my temper, maybe I started cussing, there was this guy that literally would just look at me and say, Mr. Barnes, what you really need is Jesus. He said, but I started watching him. I could give him an assignment, and it was like it was done yesterday. Here was a man that took his job seriously. He worked hard. He was dependable. He was there early. He would stay late. He was the kind of guy that, again, when I asked him to do something, it was though it was done yesterday. And he said, I never, ever, ever, I, I, I literally just, I, I stood in amazement watching this guy. Because once again, every time I kind of lost my temper, this guy would say, Mr. Barnes, what you need is Jesus. He said, I started taking him seriously. He said, one evening on Saturday night, I looked at my wife, Ellen, and said, Ellen, we're going to go to church. She said, we're going to do what? We're going to go to church. And I'm going to surprise you even more. We're going to go to Sunday school. They had never been to church. He had not raised his family in church. He didn't know where to go except the fact that he knew that this guy attended a church that was called Thrift Haven Baptist Church. And he said, so we decided to go. He said, we got there. My wife went to a class, ladies' class. I went to a men's class. My kids went to a class. And he said, I walked in and I sat down in this class. Everybody was friendly. Everybody talked. Everybody introduced themselves. But he said, the next thing I knew, the teacher said, are there any things that we need to pray about? Any people we need to pray about? Any situations we need to pray about? And he said, he said all right, you shared, let's, let's pray. He said, I watched those men take those chairs and slide them back and literally get on their knees and they begin to pray. He said, I've never heard anybody pray like that. He said they were praying and talking to God as though he was sitting in the chair right beside them. He said, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't stand it. He said, as soon as the class was over, I jumped up, went in front of my family, and he said, we're going home. She said, well, we just got here. We're going home. He said, I went back to work that week, and he said, all week long, he said, I wrestled with what took place on that Sunday. He said, again, I looked at this guy, and he said, you know what? I loved him and hated him all at the same time. And again, he would say to me, Mr. Barnes, all you really need is Jesus. He said, Saturday night came. I looked at my wife and he said, we're going to go to church. She said, really? We're going to do the same thing? No, we're going to church. So once again, they got up, went to Sunday school. 
He said, I walked back into that same class. He said, I sat down in that class. Again, they greeted me. They welcomed me. He said, once again, the teacher asked about people to pray. And he said, man, I watched them scoot those chairs back again. Those men got on their knees and they began to cry out to God and spoke to him as though he was sitting right beside them. He said, as they were praying, he said, the next thing I knew, he said, I just screamed out, stop. So the Sunday school teacher walked over, put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, sir, are you okay? He said, am I okay? He said, I'm, I'm needing to get saved. And right there in that room, those men knelt around him, and he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. He said, you know what, Rick? He said, I never got over seeing that guy's performance on the job and hearing him say to me time and time again, Mr. Barnes, what you really need is Jesus. Family, I want you to understand something. You and I never know Never know. When the rope that you are holding and the rope that you are making, whom God is going to dangle from him. That's why the integrity of Christ is at stake at your job, at school, at play, no matter where you are. Because the sake of the kingdom of God, the sake of the testimony of Christ is always at stake. So that wherever we are, listen to me, we need to be making a good rope. Because we have no earthly way of knowing how God is going to use that to change someone's life. Now if you go back and look in Acts 25, or Acts 9.25, listen again to what he said. But the disciples took him by night and led him down to the opening of a wall, lowering him in a basket. Here in verse 33, he said, but I was let down in a basket through a window and the wall and escaped his hands. Secondly, I want you to see the rope holders. When you look at this story, I think sometimes it's very easy just to think about, hey, who made the rope? But what about those that held the rope? And this is one of these things that I want you to prepare your heart for. Because there are five simple questions that I want to ask you today about the rope holders. First of all, what is a rope holder? Let me give you a definition. A rope holder is any Christian who cares for, sustains, and protects, and encourages, and yes, even rescues. When necessary, any other Christian, especially a new growing Christian, with the intention of guaranteeing for that other Christian the future productivity that is maximum for the cause of Christ. Think about it for a moment. In other words, our job, our mission, when we become a rope holder, is that we care, that we sustain, that we protect, that we encourage. Yes, even rescue. Listen to me. It's, 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 so many times people stumble, and you've heard me talk about this. They stumble. The problem is not when they stumble. The problem is they never get up again. The reason why they don't get up again is because there's nobody there to help them up. Or if there's somebody there, we're there to crucify. We're there to belittle. We're, we're there to, to basically say, well, shame on you. You shouldn't have made that choice or you shouldn't have done this. That's not what a rope holder is. We are there to, to, to be a part of helping that person grow. Why? For the future product productivity of what is maximum for the cause of Christ. That's who we're to be. So I want you to look at this. Who were these rope holders? We don't have a foggy notion who they were. We don't know except the fact that these were probably the people that he was coming to persecute and throw into prison. But the thing that I love about this is we don't have to know their names. But what we do know is this, they just simply held the robes. 
And can I say to every one of us this morning, especially in the times and the days that we're living in, and even still in the midst of this COVID mess, do you understand that every one of God's children, God expects every one of us to be a rope holder? He expects every parent to hold the rope for their child. He expects every teacher to hold the rope for their pupil. He expects every Christian to be a rope holder for somebody else. He expects every pastor to hold the rope. He expects every staff member to hold the rope. He expects you to be a rope holder. There's a famous story that's recorded over the book of Joshua in chapter 2. There was a shady lady from Jericho. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. One night, there came a knock at the door. And she went to the door, probably thinking, well, you know, this is probably somebody coming to visit me. But there was two great men of God who was running for their lives. And so she opened the door. They quickly explained the situation. She hurried them upstairs on the flat roof, and she was, there was grain that was there that was drying, and she put those men beneath the grain, covered them up with all of that grain. The soldiers came into the house, couldn't find them. They went on their way. And if you read that story, she took a basket and some rope, and once again, two great men of God was let down on the outside of the wall of Jericho in a basket who fled for their lives. Can I tell you this morning, Rahab didn't have a whole lot going for her. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. But she could believe God, and she could hold a rope. And the future history of two great men of God dangled, think about it, in the rope that was in her hand outside the window of her house on the outside the wall of Jericho. Everybody in this room, no matter what your age, if you're a child of God and you're a believer can be a rope holder. And can I say to you, must be a rope holder in the interest of Jesus Christ and what is going forward and what God is calling us to do. Here's my third question. When do they hold the rope? Well, verse 29 describes that they held the rope at nighttime. You see, not only was it night in reality, but it was also night experimentally. If there's ever been a time that there is darkness and night that is happening in America, it's today. We see a country that is so divided. We found there are people today trying to basically put you in different categories, put all of us in different categories. And man, if you're a Christian, oh, you just better hang on. If there was ever a time that we needed to truly be a rope holder in this nation and in this country and in our community it is today. Because the only chance that people have of seeing the person of Christ is to see it in someone that that light dwells, that that hope dwells in. And what I want you to realize is that it's easy to hold the rope when everything's fine and great. 18 months ago plus, man, we were growing and God was blessing. We were even talking about moving into four services because of the growth. We had totally run out of room in our preschool and children and adult space. And we were trying to figure out how in the world are we going to take care of all the people that God is bringing and COVID hit. And let's just get honest right now. It has been one of the biggest challenges of how to get our people back. And not just coming back, but beginning to serve again. There's not a pastor that I know. I talked to literally dozens of them this past week. And we're all experiencing the same thing. People are skittish to come back and start serving again. 
People have found, well, I can watch online and I can still go and do my thing and I can check it off the list. And I'm proud that we have the ability to show it online. I appreciate that. And I love that. We're reaching a lot of people through that. But listen to me. It should never take the place of the assembly of God coming together to do ministry together. But what I want you to understand is if it's easy to hold it when everything's great. But what about when it's tough? What about when it's hard? What about when it's difficult? Somebody has to hold the rope. And it's time that we understand that even though it may be night and experimentally, we must hold the rope. Fourth question, how long did they hold the rope? This is the part I love. They held it till the job got done. You see, it was dark. The only way they knew that the basket had reached the ground was when the rope became loose in their hands. It was totally dark. There was no light in the city. Can I just tell you that we're to hold the rope until the job is done? You say, well, well, how long is that? Let me tell you. It's either till God takes you home or the rapture happens. I love the story of Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah was on the wall? had a sword in one hand and he had a trial in the other. They were in the process of rebuilding that wall. Do you remember how they came to try to rattle him off that wall with speech, with laughter, with argument, and yes, even with weapons? Remember what he said? He said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Could have been the same words that Jesus echoed from the cross. I'm here till the job is done. That I've shed my blood and given my life in order to redeem humanity. He stayed there till the job was done. And I believe that there's ever a time that we've got to stay and do what God has called us to do. It is to be faithful, to hold that rope, to not let it go until the job is done. And it's not done until we go home to be with Jesus or the rapture happens. Here's my last question. I want you to get your heart ready for it. Who was in the basket? Well, for all of us in this room today, we can look a little superior because we know who was in the basket. But can I remind you, they had no idea who was in that basket. They just held the rope. Think about this for just a moment. Possibly, more than likely, the people who were holding that rope were the very people that he came to condemn, harass, thrown into prison, and maybe even put to death. But they're saving his life by holding the rope. Had no way of knowing who was going to be in that basket. They had no way of knowing that he was going to write 13 documents of your present New Testament. Had no way of knowing that he was going to take the Roman Empire and, and literally just plant churches all over the Roman Empire for the kingdom of God. Had no way of knowing that he would be one of the two famous leaders in the earlier New Testament church. They just did what they were supposed to do. They held the rope. I want you to hear my heart this morning. If you do not have your hand right now around a rope as a rope holder, then my challenge to every one of us today is to close your hand and your grip around that rope today and never forget, I don't know that the very next person that I meet, the very person that God places into my basket could be a Saul of Tarsus. 
waiting to blossom, waiting to bloom, waiting to burst forth like the Apostle Paul did, to literally change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't have your hand around the rope, listen to me. Ask God, God, put somebody in this basket. I want to hold it for the kingdom's sake. Because, listen, that's what this life is about. It's not about programs. It's, it's not about just building a great church. It's about seeing lives transformed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not just about having people walk the aisle, join the church, fill out a card, and baptize them, and hang them out to drip dry. That's what we've done in too many of our churches. No, it's to make disciples. We never think of the rope. We never think of the rope makers. We never think of the rope holders. Let me tell you a quick story and I'll be done. In the city of Chicago, just back before the Civil War, there was a trembling young Sunday school teacher. His name was Edward Kimball. Had literally gone down to visit one of his young men that was in his Sunday school class and he was selling shoes at a local shoe store. Went to that shoe store and found Dwight Lehman Moody sitting in the back eating his lunch. Edward Kimball, very lovingly, went back and stumbled through the explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later, Moody would say, I was like ripe fruit for the picking. God had prepared his heart. And back there in that storage room, Dwight L. Moody got on his knees and invited Jesus Christ to become his Lord and Savior. Got up, left rejoicing that a young man had been saved. Had no way of knowing that that young man would become one of the greatest evangelists that God ever gave to the church up to that point in history. Who would literally take one continent in one hand, take the other continent in another hand, and literally shake them to their roots and hold them up to the very throne of God and bathe them in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His name was Dwight L. Moody. You never know who God's going to put in your basket. I want you to be awful careful with this message today. I didn't share it for you simply to hear it. To be honest with you, that's what we do most of the time with the gospel. We sit, we listen, we go, oh, that's a great message. But so many times, including myself, we never do anything with it. We go home, check, check it off our list, went to church, heard Drew, heard Nate, heard Rick. Boy, they preached a great message today. But we never do anything with it. You have a choice today. And that choice is simply this. You can take that rope. And we've given you one this morning as a reminder that every one of us need to take our hands and put our hands and grip, if you will, and hold on and never let go because you don't know who God's going to put in that basket. For some of you this morning, you need to pick up the rope again because there was a time you held it, but you laid it down. Maybe you got a little lazy. Maybe you became apathetic and complacent because of all that's been going on. Maybe you're going, well, I'm back in church and I'll come to work. And you wouldn't believe the excuses I've heard. Excuses like, well, I'm scared to come back into class because I haven't been there in so long and nobody's going to know me and I'm going to feel weird. Really? We're family. Amen? 
Well, I just, you know, I've been out for so long. Listen to me. That's the problem. We have to look beyond ourselves. We've got to be willing to choose against ourselves. And realize that God has called every single one of us to become that rope holder. And I challenge you this morning, whatever it is, that you will grab a hold of that rope and you will be faithful and stay until that time ends for you or for me. Get a hold of that rope. And if you've got your hands around the rope, then ask God to put somebody in that basket that he'll use to change the world. Because I'm here to tell you this morning, it's all that counts. When I became your pastor 18 years ago, I didn't come to say, let's build a great church. My passion was, let's serve a great God. My passion was, let's make sure that we build an atmosphere that people know that we'll hold the rope for them. Remember what I said earlier? That it is to encourage, but also to rescue. You see, I'm one of these guys who believes that if I tie a rope around you and you tie a rope around me, and because we're all imperfect and we all certainly have the capability and the possibility that we can stumble and fall, that somebody's got a rope around us that if we stumble and fall, then they're going to be there to catch us, to dust us off to help us get back up on track again so that we can grow and become what God wants us to be. Now, I know there's a temptation from time to time. Can we put it around their neck? You ever had somebody like that? No, we don't tie it around their neck. We tie it, and we hold on to it. And sometimes we hold on to it, listen to me, and you watch somebody with a rusty knife in front of you that you love and you care, but it's like they're just gnawing at it like this. And I've looked at people like that and I've said, listen, don't be a fool. Don't be stupid. We're holding this rope for you. Don't cut it off in our hands. Sometimes they do. And the whole time, I'm probably out there trying to grab the little pieces to put it back together again because that's what we're to be. That's the kind of church we're to be. Grab hold of the rope. Ask God to put somebody in that basket that will change the world with the only hope we have, and that is the gospel of Jesus. Let's stand. Father, I come to you this morning. Father, I pray that today you will just motivate and challenge and encourage us. That, Father, today we recognize that we are here for a purpose and that, God, it's not just a program. It's not just a to check it off our list, I'm in church. No, it is to come and deposit our life and truly become not only a good rope maker on our jobs because we have no earthly idea what you're gonna do with it, but also to be a great rope holder. I thank you for the men and women who have held the rope for me these past 18 years as their pastor, who've held the rope for our staff. And I pray today, Father, that you will just move greatly within us, stir within us, that we understand this principle that you've called us. It is a mandate. That we not only make a good robe, but we hold it. So the job is done. Forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we let go. But encourage us to wrap our grip around it and hold it until you come. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.